0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Probiotics, a lot of hype, or can they really be helpful for our patients? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Lynn McFarland, Affiliate Associate Professor at the University of Washington and a member of the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System in Seattle, Washington. Thank you for being with us, Dr. McFarland. Hi. We are going to be talking today about probiotics, what are probiotics and how we might use them in our practices to help our patients. Dr. McFarland, can you tell us a little bit in general what probiotics are?
1: It's a thing you probably can see in many different health food stores and in grocery stores, and it's not only physicians that are confused about it. It's the general lay population consumers. They go up and they see all these big bottles and they wonder, what the heck is this thing? Probiotics are basically bacteria or yeast that are living organisms that are used to beneficially affect a human being by improving the microbial balance within the system. So it's helpful if you know a little microbiology and you know a little bit about quality control and regulations so it's not an easy thing to just you can't just go in and pick up a bottle of vitamins and and be assured that this this probiotic is like all the rest of them so it takes a little bit of education to really get the idea and to be a sort of an activated and informed consumer.
0: So anything that's labeled probiotic does not necessarily contain the same constituents that another bottle labeled probiotics would contain.
1: Right. It's an unfortunate situation. The year 2007 actually marks the century of use of probiotics. Back A hundred years ago, Menchnikoff discovered that there were actually organisms within the what people eat in Scandinavia, which was yogurts and fermented milks, that he thought would help improve people's health. And we actually have bacteria in our intestines that do all sorts of good things. He thought that perhaps we're sort of ignoring the bacteria in our gut and they could be doing good things for us. And perhaps the bacteria that we ingest in fermented milks and dairy products would be good for us too. So in the next ensuing 100 years, we've done a lot of research and what we found is that yes, there are some beneficial bacteria and there are a lot of bacteria that don't do much and mm-hmm. some are just good for making good yogurts. Some are good for health and some are not good for either one of them.
0: I was going to ask, are probiotics necessarily things that we have in our normal flora or can they be things that are foreign to the human body?
1: It's a little bit of both. Most of the probiotics that we take are not something you would normally find. You might have similar types of like lactobacillus in your gut, but you wouldn't have it at such high levels. And most of the probiotics came from dairy fermentation. So when they were making cheese and milk and yogurts, they found that not only did they make good food products, but they were people who were eating the yogurts that had the living organisms in them were actually much healthier than people that didn't use that. In the United States, we pasteurize most of our yogurts and our dairy products, so we don't really get the benefit in this. But in Europe and Japan, they are used to taking their their yogurts with the living organisms. And they find that they actually get a lot of health benefits. So probiotics have had a lot of use in Europe and in Japan. Probably in the past 50 years they've been used extensively. So they have a lot more experience with probiotics. And it's basically since 1994 or so that probiotics have been introduced as dietary supplements into the U.S. market. We're kind of catching up.
0: And I take it from what you've said that pasteurization destroys these natural yeasts and and bacteria.
1: Pasteurization is great. It kills everything, so that's good to preserve the foods, but it kills off some of the good bacteria that you would normally get in that food stuff. So an alternative is to buy probiotics that are either dry or lyphalized, that's freeze-dried bacterial strains, and then you just take them orally. The advantage of that is that you know what you're taking, and you can take specific probiotics directed for specific health concerns that you may have.
0: When I hear about things being a supplement or a food additive, I think not controlled by the FDA. It brings up some questions.
1: The difference between a regular investigation prescription drug or an over-the-counter drug that comes through the FDA, they have a very extensive process that goes through getting a, a new drug approved. So you have to go through animal models, you go through phase one safety models, you go through phase two and phase three clinical trials that are double-blinded placebo control trials. And the FDA really looks very hard at these new drugs to make sure that what comes on to the U.S. market is is good, potent drugs that are safe. In 1994, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act was passed, and that was basically to allow vitamins to say that it helps in common colds, but it was like a Pandora's box it opened up the market for all these other products that are not as regulated through the FDA to say that, well, we're dietary supplements, so the difference is they can only make health claims which relate to either the structure or function. So you can say that it restores your intestinal balance or enhances the immune system, promotes skin health, but you cannot say that it treats a specific disease because that's a drug claim. So it's one of your first clues that you want to look at on a product label. Does it make a claim to treat or prevent a disease? Because if it does, it's not conforming to U.S. law. The FDA does... Sort of, It comes under the FDA jurisdiction, but they don't really have the close control of the dietary supplements like they do with prescription drugs. And so you, you have to file with the FDA, but you don't have to go through all the different studies, and you don't really have to prove that it's safe before you get on the market. So it's, there's a huge loophole. You know, there are some good products and some bad products, but it's, it's confusing to kind of weed everything out.
0: You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Lynn McFarland from the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System, affiliate associate professor at the University of Washington, and we are discussing the uses of probiotics in medicine. How, Dr. McFarland, can we start to sort out what might be good not as good consistently produced uh, inconsistently produced etc
1: unfortunately it used to be where you could go to the scientific literature and look at what studies were being done and that still is a very good source of information unfortunately there are so many different studies out there in varying quantities and quality if you go to the internet and look up a probiotic that doesn't there's no filter for whether or not this is a good product or not. It's basically you're looking at how well they market their drug. You have to sort of be familiar with the scientific studies, or you can buy, there are some books on probiotics that are fairly good consumer guides that talk about probiotics. One that just came out is called The Power of Probiotics, and it's written by Gary Elmer and myself and my husband, Mark McFarlane. It's specifically written for consumers to really read. It's an easy read, and it covers all the different indications that probiotics can cover, and more importantly, kind of gives you a five-step process to, to pick out a good product, list some products, and the advantage of, it was written by two scientists, Gary Elmer and I, who we've had more than 20 years of research in probiotics, but it was translated from science ease to something that was interesting to read by my husband, who's a journalist, so he 's able to translate what some people say scientists write boring articles. but the good news for physicians is that there we 've also included the scientific studies in there, so it 's kind of written on two levels so if there's information on on all the over two hundred randomized clinical trials and probiotics in this book, but there are other consumer Guidebooks also, but they're not. They don't really address both different levels, and they aren't as complete.
0: This would be a, a terrific resource for the busy primary care doctor to really learn a little bit about the the science and also the practical use of these probiotics.
1: Yes, it's an excellent book to have in your waiting room for people to flip through, and it's nice that it's available and it's pretty much up to date. It has all the references that you might need, so it. It's a, nice, it's a nice guide, and it was written specifically for our patients that went through clinical trials and who were convinced said, so, gosh, this stuff is great. Probiotics, I'd like. It sort of addresses the appeal of it's a natural kind of alternative therapy, something that complements normal like antibiotic use, or it's not something that the physician needs to feel concerned about because it, most of the probiotics are pretty safe. They complement traditional medicine it 's a nice thing, and people appeal to it, and they 're a little bit more activated it 's something that they can choose themselves. Choosing the right probiotic is is difficult
0: well, that again is, is called "The Power of Probiotics" by Gary Elmer and Dr. Lynn McFarland, and sounds like it would be a, a useful reference. To that point, are there sometimes side effects or drug interactions that we as physicians and a healthcare provider should be aware of?
1: We can give information on the safety of probiotics from looking at the randomized clinical trials that have actually collected information on side effects and it's surprising the relative lack of side effects. Most of the patients are able to tolerate probiotics, and this includes children that have had diarrhea, so they're ill children, very elderly people that may have colitis or inflammatory bowel disease, people who have other very serious conditions, cancer, allergies. The nice thing is that there's such a huge use of this in the rest of the world. We can look at the by side effects, and we have a, a denominator of billions of people. But what kind of things would crop up? The one thing you want to be concerned about if you're giving a bacterial probiotic and the person's on an antibiotic, that you're not giving the type of antibiotic that will kill off the probiotic. So that's something that you can check with your pharmacist. If they don't know, they can call up the microbiology department and and find out whether the antibiotic will kill this but the advantage of there's, there's one kind of yeast probiotic that, and the advantage of that is that you can be taking any kind of antibiotic and be taking the yeast at the same time and it won't kill off the yeast because antibiotics don't work against yeast.
0: You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Lynn McFarland from the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System, affiliate associate professor at the University of Washington, and we are discussing the uses of probiotics in medicine. How about immunocompromised patients? Are they at any risk?
1: There have been some studies in, in France, and we've basically found that children that are very young and who are immunocompromised and have a central catheter, so they're very sick children, sometimes have had short-lived fungemia, so they've had the yeast that they were taking orally, that has been found in their bloodstream, they spike a fever and they're given an antifungal and they get better. Most of them actually go back on the yeast because they're trying to fight off the diarrhea, which is severely dehydrating them. There have been... Some cases using the uh, lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, a very popular probiotic that has been a couple of cases of bacteremia. I think globally there's been maybe 13 or 15 cases. Very rare. There's been one case of liver abscess that was caused by, it appeared to be the same organism. So, considering that it's a living organism and you're giving it to sick people, the safety record is very, very good.
0: Maybe a little extra caution in someone who might be severely severely immunocompromised. Right. I want to thank Dr. Lynn McFarland from the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System in Seattle, Washington, who has been our guest as we've been discussing probiotics and their use in medicine. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.